So I think the way we're gonna to walk through this, I'm gonna read like a couple verses. We're gonna talk about some stuff. I'm reading more verses. We're gonna talk about some stuff rather than like reading the whole thing and then going, here's our three points. Okay, is that okay? It's gonna be kind of jumbled. All right. So if I had to like, uh, when I was thinking about the, the kind of the three movements of this text, I think what you're gonna see, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you're gonna see like a lot of similarities in the story of Nehemiah. I think we're gonna, you're gonna hear the first part and go, oh, I relate to that. I get that moment. I kinda, I, that makes sense to me. Then we're gonna get to the next part where things kind of go down a little bit. And you're gonna be like, I've been there. I know that. And it's gonna go up again. You're gonna be like, yep, the rebound. I know what that's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's really powerful in this text. And uh, man, it's beautiful. So let's, let's start out in chapter eight. I'm gonna read verse two, and then I'm gonna read verses five through six, okay? It says, so all the people, we're hanging out. The squad is lit. We're in Jerusalem. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. All right, then we're gonna skip down to verses five and six. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground, all right? So first, let's just talk about this moment of praise, all right? That's like the first point, if, you, if you're a points person, okay? This moment of praise. So Ezra begins reading the law. I think they do it from like morning until lunch. And I'm pretty sure that everyone that was down to do this were standing the whole time. What if I put you through that? That would be insane. I just imagine this. But they're eager, right? Because something special's happened. The people, this first wave of Israelites, they're together, right? They've been in exile for like 150 plus years, okay? That's not a good situation, right? And so they're like worshiping the Lord. Ezra just says something. It's beautiful. They go, amen, amen. They lift their hands and they get on the ground and they just start worshiping God. And I think there's, there's two reasons. This is such a beautiful uh, kind of sentimental moment, right? Because they had returned to a physical space that was important to their people, first of all. And they'd also returned to a spiritual place of significance, okay? So they returned to a physical space. So I remember when I went to Israel, no joke, so shout out, I've been to Jerusalem, I was there. I went to Turkey, I went to Greece. I was gone for 19 days, okay? It was beautiful, it was an amazing trip. But by day like 11, I was like, I, I, do you think I'll ever be home again? Like, I don't know, I miss the flag. I never really thought about the flag, but I just wanna see an American flag somewhere. I miss my family. I want like my mom's car, I wanna be in there. I want her to say she loves me. Like I just started missing homeland, right? Because there's nothing like the physical space that's home. Some of you studied abroad and you mourned on your way back because you just wanted to stay in Spain or France or wherever you were on that trip, right? But for me, when I was on the plane flying back, I could not wait to just get home again. And so understanding there's some really beautiful things happening here. The Israelites are returning to a physical space that's just home. They've just been exiled for so long and they get to go home again. So that's really, really big, okay? Also, I understand that my Israel example was super lame and not even close to what they're feeling, okay? It's not a direct parallel. It's a story of my life. I'm trying to let you in on me, all right? All right. Secondly, there's a spiritual return, right? This mattered. Like their exile, they knew their history to some extent. Their exile was a result 
of their ancestors, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, direct disobedience to like God's instruction. Just, just kind of facts, right? They remember that their parents or grandparents or great-grandparents, they told God, God, we don't just wanna follow you, we want an earthly king. And God said, they've done this against me, but give them what they wish. They get a king. The kings do what human kings do. They let false idols in, there's disruption, there's a civil war, Israel's divided, Israel's more susceptible to enemies coming in and taking over the land. That's exactly what happens three different times. Like the brokenness of the people was because the people had strayed from the heart of God. So this moment of return to Jerusalem was this really special moment that God still welcomed them back like from a place of despair, a place of darkness, a place of brokenness, right? Do we understand why this would be significant? Like they find themselves in Jerusalem hearing the law with all of their Israelite people and they're like, oh my goodness, God has welcomed us back. This is incredible. I think we can all relate to this. Whether, you're, whether you've been following Jesus for like seven days or seven years, or even if you don't follow Jesus, you can just imagine this moment. I think about my own life. I think about some of the dark places I've been, some of the distance that I feel like I've kind of gone away from God. I, I remember, I literally remember, I, just, I thought this was a good chance to let you in on some of like specifics of my story, right? Because I'm up here talking all the time and I want you to know me. Um, so, and Sarah, you were talking about, we wanna get to know each other better. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that step. So I remember when I was like 21 years old and I had come to Belmont, I think I was a sophomore, and I was studying religion and I was wanting to be a minister. I've been wanting to preach since I was seven years old. Heard a revival preacher when I was seven. Do you even know what a revival preacher is? Anyway, from that moment, I was like, I wanna do what that dude does. I wanna cause revival fire to fall down. And so I've been wanting to preach my whole life, but I also found myself really struggling with like abusing substances. Like I just love being high or I just wanna be under the influence at all times, all right? That was just my thing. It wasn't because I had some insecurity. It wasn't because I was like, had some weird shame that I was trying to work out. It's because I loved partying, all right? I loved it. And when I was 21, I remember this like aggressive intersection where my desire to kind of go crazy and my desire to preach kind of came at a crossroads and said, you kind of got to do one or the other here, all right? It's just, it's not going to work out both ways. And I remember like a week before, and I told part of this story, like a week before I was supposed to start my internship at Ethos and I was keeping my other side of my life kind of like nice and over here and my ministry side over here and they just got to stay separate. But there was this day where they kind of joined together. They all kind of came together at once and you know, I, I got under the influence. I was pretty shwasty. I went for a drive. I got in an accident. I got arrested, right? It was a really bad moment. And the timing could not have been, I will say now, better. But at the time, it was horrible. I was starting my internship at Ethos with Dave Clayton like three days later. I'm like, well, this is not the best intro to the intern he's getting in his, his office, right? And I remember me and my parents, we sat down and we met with him and, and asked him if I could like, you know, still intern, and he was very gracious. He felt the Holy Spirit saying, absolutely. And I remember I sat at his desk uh, the first day of my internship, and he said, Joshua, in, as, an, as, uh, as a team at Ethos, when we take on an intern, we see two things. We see their raw material, and we see their spiritual maturity. And I'm going on a bit of a tangent, but this is gonna go somewhere, all right? Raw material, spiritual maturity. He goes, raw material is what you're good at. It's the things you're gifted at. We didn't make that happen. God gave it to you, Okay. Spiritual maturity is how much you love God. It's just your relationship with God. 
It's that you're pursuing them, that you love them, that you're walking with them, okay? He goes, at ethos, we only care about your spiritual maturity. And I remember this moment. I, I just, it was just like this really crystal clear moment where the grace of God was so evident. How had I stumbled over my drunken self into a place where someone said, if you're gonna be here, you've gotta love God deeply because he loves you and you're gonna be in a relationship. And I remember this moment. It's kind of like the moment I'm seeing here in Nehemiah where I'm like, man, the places of darkness I've been. Like, how did I accidentally stumble back into the good grace of the Lord? Like, this is incredible. I remember just crying, like praying, like, God, help me stay here like till your kingdom comes. Like, where have I fallen into? This is incredible. It was just like this moment where God extended his grace. And maybe you've had a moment like this where whether it was like you hadn't read the word for four days and you felt super far away, or maybe you had a story like mine where you had really drifted from the ways of God, but you had this moment where like God welcomed you back through a person or maybe a worship gathering or whatever it was, and you realize that his grace far outweighed your darkness. Does that make sense? Is this resonating? It's a cool moment. I think it's what's happening here in Nehemiah in these, fir- in these first few verses. They're overwhelmed, they're overcome, they're worshiping the Lord this time of praise, but I want to keep reading because an interesting turn happens here. This is kind of caught me off guard as I was reading it. In verse eight, it says, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense or they, they like translated it so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra, the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, listen to this, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Super interesting. So we were worshiping, right? Like we're singing oceans, we're in Jerusalem, everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, as they begin making the words of the law clear, as they begin translating it, because some of these people didn't speak the same language because they had spent so much time in a foreign land, as they begin explaining it, the people are overcome with emotion. They begin mourning. They're sad, right? They're broken. Super interesting. And we don't get specifics as to why, but there's not really too many options as to why they're all of a sudden like broken and sad. This place of worship has turned into mourning, But what's being read to them is the law, is the story of their people, of their ancestors, the rule, like kind of the the, the ways of life that God has instructed. And whatever's happening here, there is some sort of conviction or brokenness for how far they had drifted from God. I believe what's happening, there is some sort of awakening to just how far they have drifted from the Lord. And they're just overcome and they're brokenhearted. And all of us have experienced this before especially once we've like kind of rebounded from a place of darkness into the presence of God, there's this instantaneous moment of like, this is so good. But I know for me in my story, how many moments I was like in the shower, shaking my head as I thought about some of the destruction and the brokenness and like the pain that not only had hit me, but really what I saw was the faces of the people that I had really left in a tough spot because of my decisions. You know what I mean? You have moments like that? where like, you know, you've worshiped God, you know he's good, but like you're in the shower or you're on the drive or you're on a walk and you just like remember that thing that happened and it hurt some people and you know you were so far from God and you can't believe you ever went that far. You, like, you remember being eight years old at youth camp, writing it down, I'll never do this, I'll never do this. God, I promise you I'm yours. And you did it anyway. And 
this like moment where like the past mistakes just sort of weigh you down. Does that, does that make sense? Have you had these moments like this? Can anyone give me a head nod saying, yeah, I felt that before? I remember this moment where I was seven years old and my dad walked into the basement. I was playing games or doing something stupid. And my dad walked in and said, son, I got a surprise for you. I said, dad, you know, I'm down for that. What's the surprise? He said, I'm taking you out. We're going to get ice cream. What? Where are we going? He goes, Dairy Queen. And I don't know what was wrong with me at seven, what had like polluted my brain because Dairy Queen with the blizzards and the upside down and like there is such a good place to go. It's a safe place to get dessert. And in that moment, I said, I hate Dairy Queen. (laughs) Just the brokenness of my heart. I'm just bearing it before you. Like I was like, I hate it. And my dad, he went, oh, okay and walked away, like so nice, like the worst kind of nice, like just that, that like exposed my brokenness. And look, I don't know, I don't think I was mature for a seven-year-old, but in this moment, a very emotionally mature part of my heart came out because that broke my heart for like three years. I couldn't believe that my dad had offered something like that. I remember literally two years later, I'm at my grandparents' house, staying the night, grandma and grandpa, 3 a.m., something, something early in the morning, it's dark outside, it's really early, And I'm just crying in my bed because I can't believe that two years ago, I told my dad I hated Dairy Queen when he was trying to offer me a surprise. I literally went and woke my grandma up, tears streaming down my face, and I said, I told him I hated Dairy Queen. And she said, did you pee the bed? I was like, no, like, what do you mean? Dairy Queen, grandma, Dairy Queen. Like, that's what happened. You know what I'm talking about. She had no idea, right? But it was this moment where like me and my dad were good. Dad was not like carrying Dairy Queen over my head all my life. Like, oh, son, you want to throw baseball? You probably hate that too, don't you? Like my dad wasn't doing that. We were good. I was a good son, good dad. I was a bad son, good dad. And everything was great. He wasn't, but but for some reason, I was just carrying it with me. And we do this. This is like a thing we do with God. Like we know he's good. We've worshiped, but there's just moments where if it's because of the enemy or just some deep, dark parts of our heart where we're like, man, God, I want to worship you freely, but I'm still not over that. I'm not over it. I can't believe that happened. And I think the Israelites are having something similar. As they're hearing the word of God, they're like, man, but can we really really worship right now? Because as we're hearing the words of the law, as we're hearing the stories of our ancestors, we have blown it. It's not good. But here's the turn. This blows my mind, all right? I love this with all my heart, and I hope, I hope it just really ministers to your soul today. In chapter eight, is that a lawnmower? <laughs> it's February, chill. It's like a little bit warm right now. Just calm down, all right. Watch this moment. Watch this turn, all right? They go from brokenness, they're mourning. Verse 10, then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat, or the good, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to eat the fat, all right? Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who's had, uh, who has nothing ready. For, the day, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites called all the people saying, or calmed all the people saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Don't be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Incredible turn here. Like, you know, we're all about giving people their emotional space. There's no emotional space here. Hey, stop crying. Celebrate. God is good. All right? Get over it. Like, whatever's happening. But I think what's happening here, they're being reminded of the truest 
thing about them. The Israelites were God's chosen people. God had made a covenant. God was true to his covenant. The Israelites had done what they could. If humans had power to outrun the love of God, the Israelites had tested that out. And God, yet again, had welcomed them back. And they're gonna have a moment where they go, look, right now, we are just gonna celebrate, not because you earned it or unearned it, but because God is God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's this beautiful moment. I think for us, we so often, uh, we, we don't mean to do this, but our joy, our celebration, our worship is at least loosely tied to how we're doing that day, how we feel like we've been doing with obedience and following God. But in this moment, they're gonna go, hey, don't mourn, not right now, don't grieve. Take seven days, find some wine, get a meal. If you know someone that doesn't have it, bring it to them and let's just celebrate for the joy of the Lord is our strength. The truest thing about the Israelites was that they were God's chosen ones, that God had said, that he had spoken identity over, that he had made covenant with. And I think some of us need to hear this this morning. The truest thing about you, if you follow Jesus, if you're following his footsteps, the truest thing about you is that you were made, well, the truest thing about anyone is you were made in the image of God fearfully and wonderfully, on purpose, with purpose. The story of scripture is God creating and calling it what? Good. That's the story. The truest thing about you, follower of Jesus, is that you are forever a son and daughter of God. No ifs, ands, or buts. No unearning it, no earning it. It's just good news. And this morning, we're gonna try to step into something that might feel uncomfortable. We're gonna celebrate the goodness of God because God is good, straight up. So no matter what last night was like, no matter what February has been like, no matter what the last five years of your life has been like, no matter what you've experienced, like God loves you. He is good. The truest thing about you is that he relentlessly loves you and there is nothing you can do about that. And that is worth celebrating, right? This is an incredible moment. I want to read a passage out of Ephesians chapter two. You don't have to turn there, although it'd help if you did because then I wouldn't feel like self-conscious. No, I found it. You don't have to turn there. All right. I want you to hear these words, okay? Okay, so Paul's going to be writing to a Christian group of, of Ephesians, okay? So if you follow Jesus or if you don't follow Jesus, I want you to hear what God like is totally offering you for free as a gift, Okay? I'm gonna start reading in verse four. This is your story, okay? Everyone just repeat after me. This is my story. story. One more time. This This is my story. All right, verse four. But God, being rich, wealthy, overflowing in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved 
through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. I love that. Every time I've heard that verse, we are his workmanship created for good works, I always turn that into, I wonder what my works are. Not that, I never saw it through this way until this week that like the pride of God to trust me with his work. He's like, oh, I'm his workmanship. He's like, no, I, I trust you. I'm, 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 I created you in Christ Jesus. I, you're on my team. Like I'm, I'm rocking with you. Like the pride of God in his people, holy and blameless, seated where? The basement, outside, the guest room, no, in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. This is what God says. And I think that God was giving me that image back there during worship, that elementary school image, that, that intimidated, like nervous, shaky kid trying to figure out how he fits into this whole thing. I think he gave me that because there is such a difference when we operate with God out of like a shaken timidity that's like nervous. Do I really belong? Do you really love me? and someone who's flourishing in confidence, that even when we fall, even when we mess up, even when we didn't do the thing we wanted, even when we, we fail our expectations or we fall short of, of the goodness of God, we feel like we've fallen short, that, that we can be confident that we are loved by God. It almost annoys me how simple my message is this morning. Like I wanna say something like crazy, beautiful, and, and stretch your imagination and blow your mind. But this morning, I just wanna remind you they're like, you are holy and blameless. If you are in Jesus, you are his kid. And he's so proud of you. He's so proud of you. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet, like his arms could not be more open than they are right now. No matter what your story is, what your life is, that God is just like inviting you into the greatest love story ever told. As cheesy as that is, it is so true. And so I'm gonna invite us to have a, just a time where we celebrate and, and thank God because God is simply good. End of story. So I'm gonna invite us for the next 10 minutes. We're gonna put this, this uh, slide uh, on the wall. And uh, I'm just gonna invite us to take 10 minutes to think about the things you are thankful for, okay? The things you are thankful for. I don't know if you've ever done this, if you've made just a list out of gratitude, all right? James 1.17, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, like scripture tells us that the good things in our lives are from God. And I think sometimes gratitude and celebration are just such a double-edged sword in the kingdom. They do so much to eliminate fear and shame and brokenness and all these things. So I want us to flex our gratitude and celebration muscles today, okay? So for the next 10 minutes, I'm gonna invite you. We're gonna play some music as we always do. And I want you just to start making a list. Pull out your phone, pull out a pen and paper and start writing down the good things that just bless your soul. Just make you happy, all right? cup of coffee, your parents, your car, your feet, your hands, your eyes, your ears. What things are you like, man, it is great news that those are here. God, thank you for that. I was thinking for my feet the other day. I was like walking around. And I was like, God, this is so dope. <laughs> I can just, I want to go over there. I'm okay, I can. It was crazy. I'm like, but seriously, that is a gift from the Lord, like just straight up. He created that, it's so cool. So there's things that are so good. So you're gonna write down the first 15 things and you're like, okay, these are all the things I know. That's when you're gonna start flexing that muscle. Keep going, make that list as long as you can. And then after about seven or eight minutes, just start praying and just thanking God for a few of those things. Just thanking him, 
because they're from him. The good things are from the Lord. And then we're gonna have a, a kind of a, a more structured time of worship. I'm gonna come up, I'm gonna dismiss us to grab some communion, and then we're gonna worship together. And the reason we're gonna be a little more structured today is so that we can like celebrate together. So it's not awkward that three people over here just going crazy, and these people over here like just praying silently, right? That can be kind of hard. So I'm gonna invite us to worship. And when we do that, I'm gonna keep saying this thing every week. Make this space your living room. Wherever you're the most comfortable worshiping, make it that space here. Worship freely. So if you need to go sprint outside or fall asleep right there, however you worship the Lord, I'm I'm actually serious. Like, do what you gotta do to just tell him you love him, to sing to him, to worship him. You don't have to stay here. If you do, that's great. But you can do whatever you want, okay? So next 10 minutes, we're gonna play some music. Let's start telling God what we're thankful for and then uh, actually saying thank you and just worshiping and celebrating the goodness of God uh, in our lives. I'll come up and dismiss this to communion in a few minutes.